Hello, and thanks for joining us on the podcast that discusses all things gaming. Coming to you from the home of Gen Con and the gaming capital of the world, this is The Established Facts. Everybody and welcome to the established facts. Uh, I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves, and I'll let our special guest that we have on the show uh, introduce themselves uh, last. So, as always, I'm host. I'm Mike, and we'll start here on my left. This is Princess Katie. Hey guys, this is Derek. This is Ragar, aka Jeremy. This is Anton. This is Josh. And we are joined by uh, two very special guests from uh, Silver Crescent Publishing, and uh, we'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Daniel Marshall. I'm the founder and president of Silver Crescent Publishing. I'm Lady Kaylee, the project coordinator and pretty much everything else. <laughs> awesome. So uh, I see on my fake itinerary here to sound important that uh, our uh, <laughs> discussion topic is we're going to talk about totes versus bookshelves. Like, whose idea was this? I mean, yeah, who does mine. this? It was mine. So it's all your fault. Yep. All right, then we'll start with you. Totes versus bookshelves. Bookshelves. Uh, bookshelves. Derek. Bookshelves. Bookshelves. Totes. Amen, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a tote guy as well. How about you two? Bookshelves. <laughs> uh, <laughs> careful for the life you save may be your own. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say Bookshelves. Good job. <laughs> okay, now do you want to describe what we're I, talking I, I, about? I, I, I feel I feel there was some browbeating going on there. Uh, <clears throat> so we were talking before the show, and we were discussing about like, kind of generally where people store their gaming stuff, and uh, somehow the conversation digressed into where whether or not people put their gaming stuff on bookshelves or they leave them in totes. Um, I don't know. I don't even understand how we ended up there or how that became the, the discussion topic, but that's where we are, and so we truly apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. But, uh, Jeremy, you got to save me, brother. Why totes? It's just convenient. I, I have a good memory of where things are stored, so when it's in there, I, I know I can come back to it, and it's space saving. Derek, I've seen your massive book collection. Why bookshelves? Because if you have books in totes, then you will more than likely never see them again. And uh, I have to profess a little bit of... Uh, I have like one of the best bookshelf <laughs> systems around. I know, I carried it. And um, <laughs> it's it's uh, got places for like displays. It's got drawers for minis. It's got... Um, I have a display for my leather-bound 3, 3.5 books. It's it's a really nice bookshelf, so I, that's why I'm a little bit biased towards them. I see. So, but, I mean, I like to see the books. I mean, like, uh, when would I ever see some of the role-playing games that I buy at Gen Con ever? 
That's true. Josh has that same problem. It's, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, hey, at least I'm running you through one of them now. It's all right. It's all right. It's I, a, as, not a different system. No. So I said I, I, I'm surprised when you continue to buy things, and Derek's response is, are you ever going to run that? I don't know, maybe, but it's going to sit on the shelf and look. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. So I'm, I'm kind of like Jeremy when I put stuff in totes. Um, I, like I had a, a, telling on myself here, but I had a 3.5 uh, Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 tote that had all my 3.5 books in it. And I had quite a bit of them. Uh, now I will, I will confess that they are now added to Derek's bookshelf collection because uh, they were getting of no use with me. So, uh, But... I put them in the totes off of a bookshelf, so because I knew that the things that I were going to use easy access yeah, were not going to be uh, my three point five books that I never play anymore. Um, so I like I like totes because I'm like Jeremy and I can say okay that gray totes all my three point five books. If I need something out of there, pff, there they all are. You, you can write on the side, alphabetize it. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff. So, Katie, why do you like bookshelves? The alphabetizing, writing on the side, crazy stuff will not happen with me. I will lost and gone forever if I put anything in a tote ever. That's just how it is. So if a bookshelf is there and I can see it on the bookshelf, then that's good. If it's in a tote, it's it might as well be lost to the the ether. There's no coming back from that for me. I have a horrible memory, as most of the people here can attest. And your name is. <laughs> for the people listening, you couldn't see the the blank stare I just gave. That was that was an awkward pause. I was, um, I was looking for a tumbleweed, <laughs> which is another great sight gag, which is so effective in uh, audio podcasts. Thanks, so. yeah. Don't you realize we all have faces for radio? So, yeah, hey. <laughs> only led by yours. I'm not the host. That's right. <laughs> so, Daniel. I, I sense some uh, uh, hostility with the uh, with the bookshelf and tote. Uh, it seems there's a story there. How about you enlighten us? Well, AKA tell on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, great. <laughs> I told you I'd be a target. Well, I, I like having the bookshelves for, like you said, the, the books that I use and stuff like that. And I'd, I'd like to say that 3.5 books can still be useful. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. I can Thank you. Coaster or no. Oh my god. Oh, oh we are no, totally getting no, 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 on no. this. Stocks. We have already talked about whether or not D and D should still exist. No, that's uh, not this discussion. That should exist at home. This should. Okay. That's not this discussion. That's going to be on a different podcast hey, episode. That's why, that's why you ended up with those books because I knew I would never use them again. Uh, or and they turned into a coaster. Massive love for you. There's still a lot of content in that stuff that Thank you. translates over to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pathfinder, yep. and I still use some of it. But, at the same time, I have a lot of the older edition stuff, like the basic Dungeons and Dragons all the way up through 2nd edition that I don't use. And there are some of the 3rd th- and 3.5 that I don't use too. So, originally I put that stuff in totes to store in the attic and whatnot, then moved, and it's still in totes. Where are the totes? Under the pool table. Yeah. So everyone can You have a pool table? Yeah. That's <laughs> All right, oh, no, we, we have a pool table we can't use because the entire pool room is full of... Stouts. Totes. It, if Josh had planned this room just slightly bit better, this could have been a pool it table. It could have been. I, we we discussed wider, it. Yeah, right. That's the problem. Yeah. It's the cost. It's the, well, it's the house plan. There uh-huh. wasn't a footprint to put more here. <laughs> put it in the loft. You know, 
It's my wife's loft. <laughs> it's now so, your man cave. So we're going to uh, we're going to progress quickly <laughs> out of what the, was that word? Progress quickly. Progress. Okay, well, I heard progress. What? Wow. I heard pregress. We are going to progress back to toots. Quickly. Always remember is the opposite of Congress. Out of the discussion of bookshelves and totes. What do you like that for? Because you never actually asked me about it. I figured your grunt work of carrying Derek's bookshelves would... No. <laughs> okay. because his was... Too. Okay, go well, ahead. When, when you grow up with, with a set of parents that have a library, that mm-hmm. have three to 7,000 books, we can never count them all. Mm. It just wouldn't happen. You end up with... Like, we end up with bookshelves. So let us know when that grow up happens. <laughs> I think he's got a point, though. Yeah, but he doesn't have a baby face. I know, true. <laughs> <laughs> I use two hands. <laughs> Growing up with multiple books, please. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's important. Like we we have a lot of children. There's six of them in the house, and I think having the books on the bookshelf is. You know, we can make room for toys. We can make room for electronics and fancy gadgets for the kitchen. We should make room for books because while I know the world is going to a digital format, it started out with books, and that's something I want to foster in my children. And when people come over, I want them, I want it to be a conversation starter. I want them to see that we have all the additions and that we've progressed through the years onto the new ones and everything else. And they're there. They're convenient. They give you ideas when you walk by. They look nice. They're they're pleasing to, to just sit in. It's, it's comforting to me and relaxing. Whereas toads are just stacked up in a corner somewhere or in the attic and forgotten about, and they're not very attractive looking. And they're, they're a great medium. Uh, the books themselves, themselves are a great medium for a random point in time when you decide, I'm going to go look through it. Yeah. And then I'm going to pick one out. <laughs> and it's almost like finding a long-lost friend because you'll be like, oh, look, I haven't read this book in ten years, and it's so exciting. And you, and, and you come up with an original copy of iRobot. There you go. Like I did. <laughs> well, for people like Josh, where he always wants to go into the next digital <laughs> toy, um, if there was an implant that could be put into his skull to like store books and stuff like that, and it was on sale, he would buy it. I would be there in a heartbeat, so, but I'd still have the original copies in real book form. I'd do the same thing, but I'd still read hard copies. Exactly. I'm just saying, I think it'd be awesome to make an app for Google Glass that makes it look like you have a big bookshelf, so you just reach out and grab your book. <laughs> that, that would be cool, actually. That would actually be cool. Don't hang your head in shame. I died a little inside. I completely agree, though. There's a societal impact to that kind of stuff. I mean, that's one of the big things I think about our generation in particular is that we had that analog uh, aspect to start with before getting into all of this digital media. It's an experience, and it's one that I think all children should have because now you pick up your, like my iPad Air, I can pick it up, I can read a book on it, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But the experience isn't there. When I was a kid, I remember going to the library, going to the bookstore, and it smelled a certain way, and it you know looked a certain way, the weight in your hands, and all of that became an experience that I enjoyed, and it was relaxing to me. Whereas now we have children that spend countless hours staring at screens that are going to fry their eyes. And I just, I, I really believe that having the, the physical book is, is just a good thing. Josh. What? <laughs> you me. Hey, look, I, that's right. It's A. 
Look, I'm I'm an Android <laughs> proponent as it is. I think the idea of Google. I know. I think the the idea of Google Glass is fantastic. Android. But I'm with you. As I prefer. <laughs> If you notice, my bookshelf doesn't have just books on it. His wife runs Apple. My wife does not. She no, she has an iPhone. Um, only because I don't want to answer Android questions every five seconds. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm glad she's not on. No, she knows this. I have told her that specifically. So this isn't a surprise. Um, but for me, I have bookshelves. Sadly, I don't use them for just books, but. I, I prefer the bookshelf because it is a visible means of storage as well. It's easy for, much easier for me to find something when it's sitting on the bookshelf. Like that shoots and ladders game? Yeah, that is not mine, but yes. <laughs> yeah. However, the purple folder underneath it, I'm not sure if that's mine or my wife's. But um, I like the yarn. That's great, right? Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, my, my wife was making a baby blanket um, for a baby we don't have okay. for somebody else. Uh, was it for years? I don't know. Um, <laughs> It's for some baby. I don't know somebody. if it's a baby or somebody. Some baby but somebody's baby somewhere at Gangnam. Um, like it. Possibly. But also with the digital age, the idea of Google Glass, Google Glass is going to be a reality. Oh, absolutely. So how do you translate that, which we're used to, the analog, to such a thing that makes people interested even when it's in a pure digital form? Which is why you'll see apps like iBooks or Google Books or a lot of PDF readers have the silly page turn animation. Oh, yeah, the Nooks have them all the No time. one... You would think in app development as a software developer, I really couldn't have cared less for that animation, but the reason the animation is there is so people have this simulated feeling... Positive of page, transfer. Of, right, of turning a page. All they got to do is add the smell of the book to it, and it'll be all right. No. That's coming. Disney's yeah, working sure on that, right? Aromatherapy for digital reading. <laughs> Derek? Um, there is a book called... Uh, Ready Player One, and in that, and I'm paraphrasing here, there's a um, line that the character says after he realizes. And, sorry, the the premise is, is that it's a uh, post-apocalyptic world, and everybody lives in a virtual reality space, um, and they have all these high-tech gear that uh, allows them to interact with this virtual world, and he basically places himself into a self-contained room straps himself into a chair, has a haptic suit and all that. Um, and he comes to realize that all of this technology and everything, all these great gadgets and, and, and um, intelligence went into fooling our senses about something that was real. So Google Glass, when someone was talking about the aromatherapy, uh, the page turning, it's all fake it's all about because your senses to believe they're real uh -huh. yes so I don't know how many times we've had our discussion about analog versus digital whether it be dice or books I'm not going to lie I love my Nook reader I have one and I do read on the iPad I love it but there is just something about when you've had a rough day having the actual experience there that is far more relaxing for me. and speaking sorry go ahead I don't know about the, the digital dice, though. I, I had a guy. <laughs> yeah. Not the group I'm, I play in now, but uh, the previous one, where he had the app on his phone. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll see how this works. Go, go ahead. And when he started critically hitting every other creature, he fought and getting, like, 30s on skill checks when he has a plus 10 all the time. I'm like, all right, you're going to go to normal dice. Come to find out, he accidentally mm. uh, said it, so it was only ro rolling 11 to 20 oh. instead of 1 to 20. 
Oh, okay. look at that. Well, but you really got to do some work into that. We've had that discussion. Yeah. Believe me, it's a it's a dissenting battle there. Most of us are analog preferred, but well, most most gamers are superstitious about their dice too. Amen. So it's a hard Amen. transfer yeah. to digital. Hey, we've thrown dice in the fridge. <laughs> I I will I will admit to punishing dice, but I am if it's mine, I don't care. I can grab it and roll it and feel fine. Where I know others like Mike who buys a set of dice per game. Like this set of dice is for this game. Yep, this is this is I have dice per character. Oh, interesting. So my dice, my dice bond with the character, and they are for that character only. So what happens when you have like a one shot adventure? I have main. I just box okay. dice <laughs> as it's sitting in front of yep. you. Exactly. But okay, so uh, we're gonna get right down to the meat of really why um, why you guys are here. Um, so I, I catch wind that there's a possible Kickstarter on the horizon for you guys. Uh, and we just kind of want to give you some time uh, in our show to just kind of tell us what's going on. Uh, we met you guys at Gen Con a couple of years ago. You guys were really excited about what was going on. Um, and so we just want to give you some time in our show to just kind of reconnect uh, with us and with all of our listeners as to what you guys are doing and uh, what to look forward uh, out of your uh, production of your game. So, All right. Um, well... A couple of years ago, Silver Crescent produced the Realms of Twilight campaign setting for Pathfinder. Um, we call it, I think actually at Gen Con that year, we coined the phrase the post-apocalyptic fantasy. Uh, basically, it's a world that centuries ago, the, the sun was eclipsed, permanently eclipsed, by a ritual that an ancient race <coughs> conducted. And there's a whole lot of history there and legends and stories, because... Role-playing is a big part of it. That's why it's a role-playing game, right? Um, the original book was like 256 pages, hardcover, printed in black and white. Um, good book. I- I'm real proud of it, but looking back, there's a-, a lot of a lot of things that I can do different now. Uh, so what we're trying to do, we have a Kickstarter coming up. Uh, March 14th is when we're going to actually post it live on Kickstarter. Uh and we're trying to reprint and upgrade the book because just doing a Kickstarter for a reprint would kind of be boring. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what we're doing, we've got uh, Jocelyn Sarvidas, who did most of the artwork for the original book, uh, is redoing probably about 90% of the internal artwork. And she's already redone a cover. She's already done a new uh, Realms of Twilight logo for us. She's already working on a number of different images. Which you can see on our Facebook page, actually. We've released uh, photos of some of the new art. And that, that, that's another thing. Every week, every Monday, between, what, a month ago or so, and the Kickstarter, we're doing a, a reveal on our Facebook page. So if you look up Silver Crescent Publishing... You'll be able to see this week's was Jen Page's newest Jin, map. Jen yep. Page's map, yep. yep. That was the new one. And then I think the, the upcoming one is going to be... Uh, an, a text interview with Jocelyn Sarvita, our, our primary artist. Uh, we've done things like a portion of a legend that we put in, a sample of this, the settlement stat blocks that we're also going to be adding into the book. So all, all sorts of, of, of new stuff. Um, the When we do the Kickstarter, if we get a successful run out of it, uh, we're going to print the book completely in color, uh, which you know, color always brings things to life a little bit better. Uh, like I said, we're going to have additional content. We're looking at a new player race. We're looking at a, a full professional editing run on the whole thing. So for those of you who have the original book, you'll see 
a lot of things rephrased, reworded. There are going to be sections that may be, may have to be rewritten. Um, and then, of course, our all of our maps are being redone by Jen Page, who I understand has been here a, a couple times. She is a friend of the show. Um, and like we said, there, her first map that she's done for us is on Facebook as one of our, our reveals. Uh, for some of the rewards we're looking at, we're looking at... Uh, some of the bookmarks that have some of the artwork from from the the Realms of Twilight series, which is the campaign setting and the adventures that we've made, uh, both potentially both the new artwork and old stuff. Uh, we're looking at digital and print versions of, of course, the new book and adventures. Uh, we've talked about a uh, lot of other things. Where even there, there's a certain level that if you donate uh, or I guess contribute. Uh, a certain amount, then we'll actually write an adventure customized to that person's gaming group. Huh. And e- each level has a name that's part of the world. Right. Uh, and then the highest level is the Twilight Dragon, which is uh, a $10,000 contribution <laughs> that I, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but something along the lines of uh, Silver Crescent Publishing will worship the ground that you walk on for <laughs> a period of 12 months. <laughs> We will bow to your presence a maximum of ten times because we have other things to do. <laughs> things like that. Um, We're also doing, possibly doing a Kickstarter-only adventure for certain levels and higher. Oh. So, and it'll be probably. I, I think we should discuss actually what we discussed about that. The prelude adventure. Um, I'll let him talk about it because it's sort of his brainchild. Well, one of the projects that we were looking at doing down the road is a. Uh, an adventure path similar to what Paizo has done with theirs and it's uh, the adventure path is an arctic setting and what we thought about for doing the uh, Kickstarter only adventure is a prelude to that basically you have the period of time that the adventure path would start in and then all the events that would happen from there on forward well, the prelude would be hundreds of years prior, the original events and the history that the the path refers to, so that your characters or another set of characters could actually be part of that history. And then what we've talked about is between the time we release that to Kickstarter backers, and it's only for them, it's not going to be something that's reproduced or anything like that, uh, we want to have a forum for discussions and so people can say hey this is how it ended for our group and this is how it ended for our group and kind of smith that into the adventure path itself so we use that to shape the adventure path right and then when we do the adventure path itself have uh like you know how they come with the player companions and stuff have something like that that says well if you had this adventure and these events happened then this event changes in this way so kind of having it be Almost a living adventure from from start to finish. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, I like those things. <laughs> um, one of the th- things that um, grabbed me in, in your original book um, was actually the... Um, it's weird. It's the bl- how the black and white interacted with the paper that was printed on them. <laughs> And it was a lot of that. that Funny actually. story behind that. Actually, <laughs> it looks almost. I mean, pardon the pun, but it, pun, but it looks like it, it's silver. I mean, so it's looked really appropriate. I mean, it was. It's all very dark. It, it looks very appropriate to the campaign setting. That was actually. 
actually a printing accident that made it where you could feel the letters. It's because oh. they printed too dark. And we're going to be using the same printer that Pezo uses now. So while we're going to try to reproduce it, it may not be possible. Oh, okay. Well, but the other thing it, is... It was a really cool trick of an accident. It really <laughs> was, and it did turn out really well. But the other thing is, with doing the whole thing in color, mm -hmm. um, the page borders and stuff, we're keeping the general artwork for it'll the page borders. Dark. But it'll, it'll still have that dark feel and that dark tone. But you can't just go black and white on the page borders and then have the the color, the color images. It just doesn't look right. I okay. tried I tried laying that out and it, it clashed really bad. The so, border that I'm messing with right now is almost a stone, so it'll be very similar to the black and white. Mm -hmm. But with all the photos and maps and everything being redone in color, it's just got to be a little bit more three D to look good. Okay, all right. It's it, that was the only one. That was the only thing that was like. Mm, I sort of kind of really like the black and white. It won't be much of a change. It won't be a huge change when it comes to that particular printing. But all the photos will be in color. But remember, it's a dark world. There's no sun, so even the even the photos will have that that darker feel mm. to them. So, and for anybody wondering, there is an explanation in the book how everything survived with no sun. I <laughs> yeah. did actually go into that, but. Mm -hmm. Have to get the book. We didn't that. just just claim it as magic. Yeah, <laughs> but it's always magic. Well, it is magic, but at least there's an explanation for it, right? For all those annoying players like me that ask why. Oh well, I just don't ask why. I say let's put a campaign together and figure out why. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, we've been doing that to our co-host Derek with his campaign setting he's trying to put together. So creating his history. So I think that's awesome. That idea of a prelude. <laughs> Oh god, my mind is just going. Shut up and take my money. That's what they want everyone that to say. I know. I, know. I think it'd be cool if you had for that um, uh, where you design an adventure for the gaming group. That yeah. if you guys were interested in that story at the end of it, to take those characters and that adventure on as it affected the world. Well, and it, it really depends because. When I say customized to the gaming group, let's say uh, a game master contributes however much that level is and uh, says, okay, these are the players I have in my group. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a paladin, a rogue, you know, say your standard four. Mm -hmm. Your healer, your fighter, your sneaky person. And a mage. And a guy who likes to blow things up. Mm -hmm. Yay, artillerists. Uh, mages can be a lot more than that. Why is the bard but, never standard? That's because they are useless. Yeah. But, oh, no, they're not. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, they're not. Now, hold on a minute. <laughs> Open the can of worms. If you play a bard right, yes. they I, I are agree. amazing. And a party, of, a party of six will always benefit from a bard. That's yeah. right. We're currently playing on a very large set of campaigns with Derek, <clears throat> Michael. I'm, I'm playing a bard. He's playing a bard. I always play a bard. Uh, one of our, our characters that we played in a campaign for over seven years, seven-ish years, mm -hmm. was a bard. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. Oh, bar bards can be cool, like she said, if, if they're played right. Just mm -hmm. my experience prior to playing with her is it wasn't played right. <laughs> I will play a bard for you. Good job. Nice I save. will. I will. Um, I, I am right now running a bard through his <laughs> dungeon, and I'm making every monster my friend. Isn't that handy? Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm taking them through a dungeon that's supposed to be the most dangerous dungeon ever created, and he went and made a gargoyle his best friend. I like the summon awesome. instrument ability. Oh, oh yeah. but you can't do anything. Your instrument broke. No, it didn't. <laughs> Loot. <laughs> there you go. I really wish I had all of the uh, episodes memorized because I'm quite certain we've had a podcast on this already. Oh, I don't know. Um, 
Probably. And if we have and we talk about it again, so what? No big deal. Well, I wanted to reference it, but like oh, you well, could go yeah. back to such and such episode. But with with the that custom adventure, it's. Mm. I mean, if you look at adventures, there's always that you know three or four different types of adventure. You have the you know the courier adventures, go get this, bring it back. You have the uh, the mysteries, which are the ones I particularly like writing and playing with. And, you know, there, there's just a couple types. Well, if I can get the characters from that group and the type adventure they're looking for, mm-hmm. then you can create from there. Mm-hmm. And then if that ties in, great. But there's the possibility that you have four or five of those. Mm-hmm. So doing four or five of those and then altering the world to those can be kind of well it'll be limited so but I I see I can see your point I think it's a good idea I think as long as the people request stuff that works then absolutely we would incorporate (laughs) it into the world I also wanted to say another neat thing that we're going to do is in the Kickstarter some of the rewards are uh, you can submit uh, like alchemical mixtures spells um, and things like that. So I'm not going to say they'll all be approved, right. but you, it gives you the ability to submit, like I think it's two, one, two, or three, or something like that, um, of your own creations, and we'll edit them, go through them, and publish them in the book with you know a notation of who they belong to. That would which be is awesome. Really and it, there's, there's even levels in there where you can submit a, a character that will be a notable NPC somewhere in the world. We'll write it into the world as a notable person. And then a higher level that... Uh, our artist Jocelyn Sarvita has, has agreed to basically do a uh, a caricature of your character mm-hmm. for uh, give, give off of some kind of written description. So you give a written description, we'll have it done in full color photo. Mm-hmm. We're, we're cool. including a link to their Facebook page in this, right? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, now the good news, if if we do. Um, Submit to that level, you'll have at least one power game type of group, so you can play test your rule or whatever mm-hmm. your rules are there. Because we can just hand that to Mike, and then he can break it, um, <laughs> and then get it back. To and us. then we can go back to you. <laughs> Michael's a resident min All right, absolutely. I real real quick, Derek. Derek is doing um, uh, a game system. Uh, the universal the. Uh, Ultimate storytelling, the universal storytelling. Yeah, that's it. I was combining Thanks, your card. I was combining your card game and, and the and your yeah yeah. And he safe. gave me all the rules, and he was like, "I want you to build a character and try and break this." And I was like, "Okay." And so I'm going through it all, and I was like, "Well, at this stage of his development in the in the story, I was like, there's not a whole lot you can break because there's not a whole lot of options available, and that's the key to things like like all that." And I was like, the more options you give me, the more avenues you open up the the realm to break games and stuff like that. At the same time, that's what a lot of people are looking for, is Mm -hmm. having, not necessarily to break the game, but to have all those options. That's why we're going to add more in there. Mm -hmm. But the more feats you can offer, the more... I mean, there are books out there completely for, like, the thousand and one spells. Yep. Or... Those are my favorite. Yeah. I mean, they have all sorts of stuff that... If you if you really wanted to, you can break almost any. Campaign. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I guess I just want to know, um, and, and, and sadly, you guys are uh, at mercy of my direction. But um, darn, uh, just give us a real quick um, kind of history of of where the idea for your game came from, 
um, where, like, just uh, like a, maybe a brief synopsis, other than the, you know, there is no sun of the world. Um, just because you know, this is a, an audio thing, and they can't see how excited you guys are. Uh, so I want, I want the, I want, hmm, raise hands, right? So uh, I, I just want, I want the the enthusiasm of that. You know, you guys are behind this, and I just kind of want uh, the people to know what's going on. So all right, well. Uh, the setting really started all the way back when I was in high school. I created a a city that one of my characters kind of fell into. He was sent by his deity to found this empire. Um, and in the, the book, it's the Elorian Empire is what he created. But really, it started with that city. And then, okay, there's a city. There's got to be something around it. So kind of grew out from there. And then once I got... You know the continent and figured out how who likes who and all the the different uh, political climates. I guess right. Uh, it just grew out from there because I'm like, okay, I have a normal continent. There's no desert. There's no ice. You got to have that. I mean, normal world environment. You, you, yeah. You're going to have areas of the world that are one type of one type of geography and another. So it, it just kind of okay. I, I want to do this type of, type of area, and then it, it grew as a story, really, rather than me saying, okay, there's a city. I think it was a lot of grew as playing, because his mm-hmm. his brother and, and their friends and everything played, and so it started in Mom's basement and just continued from with, there. With your Funyuns and Mountain Dew? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. There was magic missling of the darkness, even, I believe. <laughs> when we go to Gen Con, I want to... Um, did what? <laughs> he, said he, he said he wants to roll and see if see he's, if he's drunk. drunk. Are there any girls there? You don't remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Am I drunk yet? And, and, no, you have to. And, and you see, drink more. I'm not the only one that shakes my head in shame at you, Josh. <laughs> Start that. That's okay. We, we all. You're, you're getting, getting blamed, blamed for it. For it. Still yes. to blame. So, anyways. <laughs> Uh, when we get to Gen Con and are sober, um, then we um, we should go around. Well, that's and, not happening. No, true. But uh, we should go around to the different um, campaign writers, and I would be interested if any of them like did a top-down creation of their world versus a. I am creating this because I need to have a world in which to play, and then we're, it's going to organically grow from there. Well, it's hard. It's hard to do that though, because if you if you do that, a world really develops because of the stories that happen in it, and whether it be relationships characters make with NPCs, or they wander in a new area that the the GM has to go. Um, yeah, there's a, a bear in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like you. Uh, Sorry, you walk into an invisible wall. <laughs> it says loading. Come back later. <laughs> this memory hasn't loaded yet. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but uh, it, it, it's to me at least, it seems logical to let it grow organically because the, it the, feels real. Right. The, the stories are deeper. Like with the Realms of Twilight World. Each chapter of the book starts with a legend about that area. And what we're trying to do with that is we're trying to show that the history and the stories are there. It's not just, you know, random land appears. Well, and I think it's more important, too, that one of the things that I feel that that 
Pathfinder or D&D or whatever you want to call it, role-playing has gotten away from is the story. The mechanics are great. We need them, and that's wonderful. But in the beginning, it started out almost as storytelling. It was, you know, in-depth. It was creative. It was imagination. And that's at the core what the game is about. And more and more, it seems as if books have gotten just a little bit shorter and a little less content. And it's nice to go back and see the legends in there and the stories and that it's actually an in-depth world to play in as opposed to, you know, a box full of stats and a picture of a town. It's, it's, that's it's always rich. It's that's, more rich. That has always been the conflict in role-playing games is Absolutely. are you doing strategy-based role-playing or are you doing story-based role-playing? Story-based, exactly. Because originally, and correct, uh, someone who knows better, correct me if I'm wrong, but Gary Gygax started this with strategy dungeon crawl, yeah. if I remember correctly. And then people are like, oh, I can build stories around this. So you had, you had a shift in like the 90s. Um, in early 2000s where it's like okay let's start doing more story based and then WoW came out and mm. then <laughs> yep. you had D&D the tabletop video game and then um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then you see this shift pendulum back again with all these independent publishers yeah. my so. favorite was second edition and I know that's a huge argument that we don't have to have <laughs> But it wasn't because of mechanics. It was because of the story. There was a wealth of information available. Mm. There was things like Elminster's Ecologies that were written just because it was a good story. Mm. And I'm a huge fan of that. And that's something that that I see and approve of greatly in the realms of Twilight. Oh yeah, yeah. When I look, when we looked at, sorry, I, when I looked at uh, the book, um, it don't. Give me that. I, I don't live in your mind, which is a good thing because I go crazy. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Oh, I know. I wouldn't want to be um, in dark, dark place. Um, <laughs> but when I looked at it, it was it was a very interesting concept. And when I started reading it, it there were, it was very clear that there was a lot of depth very behind much. it. There's a lot of depth. And um, I just it, it was very interesting to see the. Um, the different cultures and the different um, uh, legends behind them and so so forth. See, the stuff that jumps out to me is the uh, the shadow manipulation. I want to say there's a prestige thing. class that's, that's for that. Not mine. Oh, it's shocker! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the lycanthropes yeah. and the uh, combat alchemist. The combat alchemist is pretty cool. I, I've got a, a 15 year old that thinks it's absolutely amazing because he's into everything cool and putting uh-huh. it together. And, yeah, so. Well, the combat alchemist. The whole point was to me the Pathfinder Alchemist is alright, but alchemy is not magic. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Combat Alchemist is all about. It's all... I mean, it has like quasi-magical effects, but it's chemistry. I should be able to go out, find random stuff off the ground, and be MacGyver with it. <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of what it, that's exactly what yeah. it is. <laughs> but as far as your, your question about the, the world itself, um, like, like I said, a lot of history, it's it started with the, the one empire, but now it's expanded to five different continents, uh, complete, of course, with cities and nations and all their own histories. Um, there's even a, a section of the world that is supposed to be pretty much impossible to get to, uh, where the Twilight Dragon... Someone's building an airship. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure they probably tried that. It didn't work. Um, Very good. <laughs> Game over. Yeah, he's built to build two airships, one to distract the dragon, one to land. <laughs> there you go. Ta-da! We we built an airship to the moon. So. <laughs> but the, the 
there's a lot of history there, and like one of the, the big things was uh, dragons are tend to be relatively rare in the world, um, and the reason for that is before the time period that the book is written, there was dragons ruled a lot of places, whether it be overtly like they were directly worshipped or behind the scenes or whatever, but there, a lot of them were worshipped as gods, and the god didn't like that. But for a time, the elder gods, the ones who created the dragons, kind of protected them. Well, when that waned, the other gods waged war against anything that had dragon blood and almost annihilated them. Um, and then the last three dragons came together in a kind of weird combination, because if you look at the personalities of the dragons, it, you never think it would happen, but there was a black dragon, a red one, and a gold one. Oh, my. Wow. And they combined their abilities and created the dragon's Captain eye. Planet. Which is... Uh, <laughs> what was it? What was Captain Planet. <laughs> <laughs> Dragon Planet. There you go. With our breath what weapons combined. <laughs> Who is Heart? You don't There's stand a, red a chance. Dragon. Yeah. The Red Dragon's Heart. I'm having Power Rangers. Yikes. Red Dragon is Heart. I'm running. Yeah. I am running. That is way too much emotion in a big, powerful being. <laughs> I am so sorry. I will close so my mouth now. Please continue. But uh, they, they created this artifact that was supposed to hold all of the, the wisdom of all the dragons, all the, the wisdom and power. So immensely powerful, as you can imagine. And then the gold dragon was turned into a Draco Lich to protect it. Fun. A good Draco Lich, which is... Nice. Not kind of weird. But, oh, it's, yeah. um, it's up until it was stolen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I play a chaotic good sorcerer who has a dragon companion, a blue dragon companion. Okay. I understand. All right. Then. <laughs> but then, if if you follow the legend further on, you know, time goes on. The the dragon's eye was actually stolen, and. Taken back to the original city. You and thought you were joking, didn't you, Ragar? No, got no he, he read that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he read that as I'm reciting it. face. <coughs> Good but, news, he got the colors right. <laughs> <laughs> this was thought out, alright? Uh, and didn't that play into creating an entire new race that's in these realms as well? Um, because eventually it was a bunch of undead shadows attacked the, the race of people that stole it. And they were dying. I mean, if any city attacked by hundreds and hundreds of shadows isn't going to fare well. Um, so, and then one of them absorbed the dragon's eye into itself and became Karius, which is, if you look in the book, he's actually a lesser god now. Uh, but the artifact became part of him. And he could now control the shadows and say, okay, you guys attack over there, you guys attack over here. So now you don't just have hundreds of shadows, which are nasty as is. You have hundreds of shadows that are orchestrated and organized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, so they're living in floodlights. Mm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. It's like, it's in, like, in a world that the sun's been eclipsed in. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. it, it's like... Uh-huh. Seems good. Yeah. <laughs> Rage quit. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people do that on me. But, uh, so they, they created this uh, ritual that shattered the dragon's eye and destroyed it. But it didn't really destroy it. They, it destroyed Karius as they saw him, but the shards went into all the other shadows around them. Of course them, they did. Oh. Which, of course, it wasn't as powerful because it was just a shard. But it gave them 
solid them. form and turn them into the umbral race, which is oh, the new race in the book. Um, but that huge release of power, of draconic power, uh, respawned the dragon race. Hmm. So you don't have dragons that are thousands and thousands of years old. They're generally young, but that they do exist and they're rare. That same shattering, of course, power looks for power of its own kind, right? Mm-hmm. Fire is attracted to fire, and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, so it sought out the only source of draconic power left on the world. That was that Dracolich that was originally protecting it. So that surge gave him immense power, turned him effectively into a greater deity. And, you know, you go further down the, the line of history, there's another historical event called the Gate Wars, where you have all sorts of other planet creatures uh, warring over portals to various planes throughout the world. You know what the funniest thing was that just happened right there? You're telling the story. Please continue to tell the story. But as you're telling it, Jeremy over here turns a page. <laughs> and this is an audio podcast, so it's almost like everyone's literally listening to you read the book. <laughs> he has to have all of his other senses stimulated by turning the page. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. Right? <laughs> and the aromatherapy. Natural sense. Just wave the book around. We'll Full circle. Smell it. Full circle. <laughs> and if you're wrong on any of this, he'll let you know. No pressure at all. <laughs> all, all I have to say is, don't worry, it'll change for the new book. Yeah. It's a pretty fascinating history. You have to so, buy the new book to find yeah. out the rest. We'll put the old book in the tote and put the new book up on the bookshelf. There you go. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just put them both on the bookshelf. Just a thought. <laughs> That's what mine will be. Good. Do you think that people are going to get into version wars over the realms of Twilight? <laughs> like version 1. You know, I, I'm I a diehard so. version 1. Because I think the... Uh, the mechanics part of it, which is what most people get into battles over, mm-hmm. are m- much going to be the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're using the Pathfinder rule set, so as that evolves, of course, the mechanics of the world will evolve. And the the rebalancing of like the prestige classes, mm-hmm. if someone gets in a fight with that, you can just say, the GM could go, use that one. <laughs> it's that simple. I mean, well, and the biggest thing is, is we're not rewriting the book. We are the the content will still be there. It may be a little richer. There may be more added to it, and there will be a lot of new content. But the the fundamentals of the world that everybody loves will still be there. Good. That's awesome. Um, so, <clears throat> I guess uh, when you guys were um, um, putting this out, um, how long how long have you had the book, and how long the first run of the book? How long have you had that, and how long has it been? Uh, push and I'm just kind of trying to get a, a scope as to like how many players you guys generally have that play in this realm. Um, um, we have let's see, we printed the first print run was was that 2011 I think it was, and uh, we sold out with that, and we did another one and sold out with that. Um, and at that point, it was uh, we decided to go a, a different direction, start doing adventures, kind of support stuff. Um, that's where the two adventures came out, and we've done, uh, you know, customized character sheets, uh, which Dreamscard Press even let us put some of the the psionic character sheets in that. So oh. we, we've got some of that too. 
Um, I have and, a PDF of that. Yeah, you can find those on realmsoftwilight.com, which is also getting a revamp. Yep, we're also we're going to add forums website. for the aforementioned adventure conversations. So. Is there plans for Hero Lab support? Oh, um, for the yes. love. Or, or are you going to try yes. and get me to do it because I failed at doing it the first time? Well, <laughs> the, the plan is, uh, and actually, to run some of the, the short got games. Some of it in there. Yeah, to run some of the short games. Creating characters in Hero Lab is easy, so I've actually put some of the stuff in there already. Mm. But um, what we're hoping is one of one of our first stretch goals is going to be the Hero Lab data file. Oh, cool! So if, if we make it successful and if we get just that little bit extra, then yeah, it's absolutely going to be there. Yeah, well, we, well, we, we know are. what Demry's minimum. If we get good stretch goals, I'll even be creative. I'm not going to give them enough to make sure we get absolutely. to that stretch goal. Liar. My wife would kill me. Second mortgage on the house. Stretch goal achieved. <laughs> no, let me rephrase that. I would think my wife would kill me, which she probably would. I think Derek would kill me. Because <laughs> he's... Up until you put his name down and then they worship him for... Oh, yeah, then he would be in heaven. See, there we go. <laughs> Derek Newton. What? I already have enough worshippers, but like more is always good. That <laughs> just... That just brings <laughs> realism to the. Uh, if you have enough people who worship you, you are in fact a deity. Mm-hmm. Anyway, ask the Cobalts if I would agree. That's right. <laughs> um, I was actually. It's funny you were going to ask that because I was actually going that direction. As you know, we love Hero Lab. It was just a. Um, it's it's an awesome stretch goal to get there. It makes playing easier, and and the creation of characters are faster. Um, we are definitely Hero Lab supporters, so that's awesome that it's included in one of your first and early stretch goals. Um, so <clears throat> uh, I've kind of caught some wind uh, that you have something else maybe brewing in the future. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's sort of our shameless plug spot here. You'll probably see us back. Uh, we're getting ready to launch something called Playground Adventures. And this one is sort of my brainchild, as opposed to Realms being his, but I have a lot of children, and one thing I've noticed is that growing up, it's hard to run an adventure for children. All parents do it, but we take, you know, Rise of the Rune Lords or whatever, and then we gear it down a whole, whole, whole lot to make it child-appropriate. Well, what I'm aiming at doing is actually creating adventures that are based in Pathfinder for children. And I'm going to have, we're going to have different levels. Uh, so we're going to start out with something that's almost like a choose your own adventure for the very young kids. You know, you, you, you walk in and you see this, what do you do? And it'll have options so that you can give them that and sort of get them into the mindset of role playing so they can learn to recognize Pathfinder and stuff. <laughs> and then there'll be, you know, mid-level adventures. And one thing I've noticed is as a parent of a 17 year old, as my kids got older, they wanted to play themselves. But mom didn't always want to DM. I only have so much time. So they started wanting to, you know, older brother wanted to DM for little brothers. Well, we once bought them an adventure path and in reviewing it went, oh, this is not child appropriate for a seven-year-old. So it became, well, I'm going to write adventures for the kids to do with themselves so they'll leave me alone. Um, (laughs) And there's not, you know, there's just not a lot of those out there. And it's... Originally, this was supposed to be a family game. It was, you know, Gary played this with his kids. He, uh, you know, incorporated his entire family into it. But now there is, it's very much more an adult-based or older teenager-based game. And I would just really like to see something out there that incorporates the whole family and lets the children get started early. 
And that's that's our goal, and that's what we plan to do: is start making the more amusing adventures, the more child-based adventures. When you when you go do the uh, use a pathfinder, you may want to modify the rules, simplify them a we little will. bit. We will. That my intention is to by the time we get up up to the. Yeah, well, that, Carefully, that I got the board. We've discussed this. He's already said so. So, well, from what um, I understand, the pathfinder be- beginner box that was the whole premise. It was, yeah, it but was it didn't go. So it was. It, yeah, but. Uh, all, all they really did, from my understanding, my brother bought it for his kids, is they reduced the amount of races you could choose from. Mm-hmm. They reduced the options. Mm-hmm. But but didn't simplify it. Didn't well. simplify the mechanics all, right. all that much. My goal is to simplify it to a level that four- and five-year-olds can start out with this and then have levels that progress upward as they get older. And then eventually, of course, there will be the, the tweeny adventures that are all of the same rules we use. But Derek's got a great car system coming out soon that might be okay. utilized for that. Could be. The other big thing is you would Just promise me that Justin Bieber will not be part of oh, any of this. Oh, absolutely not. Never, okay. never, Edward Cullen. Never, ever. We said, we said child-appropriate. Yeah, child appropriate. Okay, that's true. And that's the other thing is there's actually a, a vast number of Christian people that play this game. Oh, yeah. And I know that, that in Archer the past group. has been a controversy, but it's not the case anymore. And there's a lot of Christian families that let their children play these games. But there's also a lot of content that they don't agree with because there's things that they wouldn't allow in these adventures. And that's I just want to have a line available for people that are more child-friendly, you know, more safe. I mean, obviously, it's it's role-playing. It's Pathfinder, Dungeons & Dragons, whatever. There's going to be violence. Someone's going to kill a kobold. It's going to happen. But you can gear it more towards children. You can make it more funny. So forth and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, our focus is the realms. But that's going to be our, our next project. I, I was going to say, though, uh, listening to this, it, it sounds like exactly something that I would I've, as I was listening, I was thinking uh, this would be perfect for our church uh, yeah. gaming ministry. Youth, youth ministry, it's, well, it's well, great for that. Well, our whole church does a giant yeah. gaming ministry. I minded so. too, and in the past, I hand-wrote adventures for the youth pastor, and so I've already got sort of a stockpile of these things I can throw out there, so I guess I, I've I was, been working I was on absolutely just getting ready to ask, how does one get started writing adventures <laughs> for like five-year-olds, but I guess you have... I have... Yeah. We, we, between us, there are six children in the house. I have five little boys. Um, they're all geeks. They all take after mom. They were all raised as geeks. That's how it is. So they they were listening. And I I myself do a lot of writing and editing and so forth. So they started out as little kids um, hearing the stories. Instead of bedtime stories of the three little bears, they got bedtime stories of the knights and princesses. (laughs) And there was orcs involved. So it was actually something that came really easy. Our whole family just did it automatically. So we've definitely got a stockpile of those things around. Well, say, the hope is, is this pod, this podcast will drop as long as I actually make sure to have that. Well, this will drop the Monday right before the Kickstarter. Right. So, um, I think this this new idea is something that will definitely. I can say definitely for podcast. We'll have you back, and you can do all the talking you want about it because I think it's a cool idea. I'm totally interested as somebody with a 12 year old brother that's like, sissy, when can I play Pathfinder exactly. with you? Like, he's all about. He has no idea what it is. He just knows he wants to do it. Well, I've even got a 15 year old that just doesn't want to mess with the mecha- mechanics, but loves the storyline. Mm-hmm. So even some of the older kids who are that way, it would be great for. Now I want to write like little storybooks for like children. It's like. <laughs> So these I four will be adventures. taking submissions <laughs> at one point, but we are not in open call yet. So keep that in mind. So these four adventures go into the dungeon, and then they uh, coup de gras the kobold, and then take his stuff. I'll be tall Guernsey. Please pay attention. Yes, her. yes, definitely. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so um, I'm, 
as we wrap up here, I just want to thank you guys for coming. Um, it's it's always nice to con- reconnect to people that you connect with uh, at Gen Con and and uh, see what they're doing. Um, and I think it's awesome that uh, you guys are still excited about what you're doing. Uh, yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's um, it's one thing when you you know that's why I asked you know how many of those you're selling. And, you know, and you, you you're going through your product, and it's nice that a publisher doesn't just say, "Hey, I'm obviously still selling this. It's obviously still good, and I'm just going to let it ride." No, I want to make you, it better. You want to make a game that's that's better, and it's a living game that people can play in. And, I think that and, can be seen in the adventures, too, because we've got the, the first adventure release was just a little rough, and the pictures are great, um, and the, the story is good, too, but then you go on to Claws, where the pictures got updated, and Jonathan Roberts did our maps, and it's obviously been uh, better editing, and so forth and so on, so it's really improving as it goes along in, in every way, shape, and form. And we just thought it would be better to go back, since everything is based off of the setting. And just start from yeah, there. Yeah, get, get that more solid, and then... I got a great I got a great analogy for this. It's like Uh-oh. Star Trek the original versus Star Trek the Next Generation. Oh god. <laughs> I'm a big generations fan, so I'm okay right. with that. <laughs> Couple quick plugs. Uh Number one, because, again, this is dropping March 10th. Those of you that are listening, uh, if you're in Indianapolis or planning to come to Indianapolis, Comic-Con, that, that following weekend, the 14th to the 16th, which, what a better way to start off Comic-Con than backing the Kickstarter that will hopefully have launched by then. Uh, we will make sure to put the link to the Kickstarter on the website as well. Uh, part two, if you uh, haven't heard all the details about Fear the Charity, make sure you go listen to our previous couple episodes. There's a lot of talking and so forth that's been going on there with Derek. We also have a uh, on our page, the Fear the Charity page link up at the top. You should be able to look and find out any details you want. And of course, don't be afraid to find Derek on Facebook and ask him any questions you want or on the Fear the Boot forums. Uh, and of course, make sure you visit the Realms of Twilight. We'll have a link on there for their Facebook page. Are you planning to update the main website as well? <coughs> we are. Yeah. Good. So, You're going to link to that too? Yes. Thanks, Josh. I try. <laughs> He never has that written down, by the way. I don't. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's mighty impressive when you say something like, Hey, Josh, where do we go for all of our shameless plug for whatever? And Josh can just rattle off websites. Facebook.com slash the established facts. Plus.google.com slash plus the established facts. It's impressive that he just remembers this. <laughs> He's a software developer. I'd have to check it out. But like I said... Um, I just want to thank you guys for coming on the show. Thanks for um, having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And uh, we are absolutely excited to have you back when uh, you start with the uh, uh, the role-playing for the kids. Uh, that's awesome. I have a I have a two-year-old that uh, I think is uh, quite a genius, and she will, uh, she'll love it when Daddy runs games for her. She'll love Playground Adventures then. So, um, uh, be on the lookout for Google's next addition to the glass, the Google Smells. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Aromatherapy. Appar- <laughs> Did I mention I sell essential oils too? <laughs> so, so then is is the uh, bookshelf going to be the glass shelf? <laughs> That's brilliant. That's great. Oh, awesome. All ideas copyrighted by the established facts. <laughs> if, you, if you want them, I need a paycheck. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Um, to be completely honest, I have no idea what the established fact was from the last show. Um, <laughs> we were but, talking about stories. I, I don't, I don't but <laughs> I, I, I have a, a fact that I would like to establish out of this show. 
I think this is the first time that I've actually not had it written down and, oh. and but um, you were you were just you know frustrated. I mean, that, that, and obviously, obviously that's what it was. Sure. That's what it was. Yep. yep. Too engrossed. It happens. Yeah. Um, uh, the the fact that I would like to establish out of this show is it doesn't matter if you're worried about stat blocks or worried about the story. If your setting is correct and the players love it, with a little bit of color and a little bit of flash, anybody can back a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Toodles. Please visit us at www.theestablishedfacts.com and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash theestablishedfacts. If you'd like to support us by buying some merchandise, visit cafepress.com slash castingrobot. Bonus